Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather in this dedicated place for worship. We thank you for over a hundred years this church has bore witness to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus in this community. For over a hundred years, we've dedicated children, we've baptized converts, preached messages, revivals. We've come today, O oh Lord, to another special event in the calendar of the church, and that's the Easter celebration. Because all else is irrelative, all else is insignificant if Easter is not realized. I ask you to touch us today, O oh Lord, as we have open hearts and open minds to study your word, to reveal its truth, to enhance our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, as I said earlier, the whole episodic life of the Lord Jesus is the redemptive provision, not just his death on the cross, not just the suffering and the humiliation of Christ, but the entire life of Christ. For the Bible said in Galatians 4 that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem those that were under the tyranny and the bondage and enslavement of the law. God is a God of transformation, isn't he? He transforms us. In fact, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is constantly shaping and moving in our lives to make us look more like Jesus. Amen. To be conformed to the image of his dear son. The Christmas story in Luke chapter 1, we read about a, a man named Zacharias, and he was a priest, and his wife's name was Elizabeth, and they had no children. But an announcement was made to them that you're going to have a child in your home. And Zacharias was so doubtful about it, he said, surely you're kidding me. We're too old to be having children. And the angel said, yes, but you're going to have a child. And uh, Elizabeth is going to have a baby. He said, no, no, Lord, you're, you've got to be wrong about that. And the Bible said that he was struck mute and didn't speak another word until the baby was born. Thank you, God, for not dealing with us so straightforward. Thank you, God, for realizing we're just kind of humans and we make mistakes and we sometimes don't think things through before we make statements. He was just overwhelmed that God could do something so improbable as to conceive a baby in Elizabeth's womb. And he was struck dumb. But the Bible said that when the baby was born, who was John the Baptist, of course, the Bible said that when time came to name him, all the women looked at Elizabeth and said, I'm sure you want to name him Zacharias Jr. Because that's common practice in Jewish culture. And uh, she said, no, that's not the name that we're going to call him. said, uh, we're going to call him John. Why are you going to call him John? Because the same angel that told me about an impossibility told me to name him John. And so they thought they'd get a better answer from uh, Zacharias. So they turned to him and said, uh, you're the father. What do you want to name this child? And said, they made signs to him indicating. And the Bible said he took a board and wrote upon it, the name of the child shall be John. Wow. And immediately his speech came back to him. So then obedience sometimes brings about deliverance. Sometimes obedience brings about revelation. 
But then Zechariah started preaching. Because the verse that's so prominent in that whole thing is he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 76, he's speaking to this baby, and he says to the baby, And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God. That's, that's a beautiful collection of words, isn't it? The tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, what a great thought that is that God has given us peace. What does peace mean to a Christian? Peace means to a Christian that there is no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no trepidation about what God's word says that is confirmed. So Christians believe that along with believing the word of God, peace comes as a result of that. I told you peace is part of God's transformation. In fact, the Bible said the just shall live by faith. Amen, faith. And the Bible says in Romans 5 and 1, having therefore peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. That means we don't have any fear or any anxiety about that issue. It's settled and done, and we don't fret, and we don't have any kind of anxious moments about being saved. Hey, you mean God wants us to know when we're saved? Oh, you better believe it. The Bible said in 1 John 2 and 5, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. Well, pastor, does that mean you can have a no-so salvation? That you can know that you're on your way to heaven? That you can know that things are right between you and God? That you can have peace with God knowing that you're justified? Justified's a great term. It's a juridical term. You hear it more in uh, courtrooms than anywhere else. But it exactly defines our peace and our relationship that we have with God. In other words, the song says, there's nothing between my soul and my Savior. Amen. Justification eradicated and blotted out those transgressions. In fact, the Bible said in Colossians 3, nailing them to his cross. Nailing our sins to his cross. Nailing our issues Nailing all of our afflictions, all of our infirmities, all of our, our weaknesses, our fears, all of those things are wrapped up in a package and nailed to the cross in the person of the Lord Jesus. Can you give him a good hand clap for that? So when John says to Zacharias, he said there's, there's a son that's in heaven. And that son is going to experience a sunrise in our experience. There's going to be a new day that's going to dawn for our country. There's a new day that's going to dawn for every person that all of the enslavery of the law and the enslavery of all of its ceremonial ritualism, all of that, the tyranny, the bondage of that is going to be done away because there's going to be a sunrise. And that sunrise is when Jesus is entered into the world. 
He didn't come like most conquering kings come. He came wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. An astonishment to the world, but to those who know the scripture know that God was in charge of all of those things. I like the way the message says this, Eugene Peterson's rendering of, of this passage. It says, what he swore to our father Abraham, verse 73, a clean rescue from the enemy's camp. A clean rescue from the enemy's camp. You mean, pastor, we were held as slaves? We were held in bondage? Yes, we were, by a cruel taskmaster whose name is Satan. But when Jesus came, we were delivered from the enemy's camp. Praise God. I love that, that term. We were delivered from the enemy's camp and brought out into freedom. So we worship, look at this, so we can worship him without a care in the world. Peace means that you can worship the Lord Jesus without a care in the world. How, Pastor, if you'd have come from the house I just came from, if you just came from the life that I, I live at home, when I come in these doors, if you could just know what I left behind when I came to this service today, you, you would think that was anything but a peaceful thing. But I want to tell you something. Before you leave this service today, you can experience a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory because... There is a risen Savior. There is a resurrected Lord. There is a living God, hallelujah, that lives in our hearts and lives in our lives so explicitly, so abundantly that all of our anxiousness and all of our fear is relinquished by this great thing called peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, peace is a gift. Touch your neighbor on the other side and tell her, peace is a gift. <laughs> Glory to God. Peace is a gift. Wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. Wages are something you work for, right? But a gift is something that you don't work for. Huh? You don't have to be anything or do anything or be competent. A gift is something that is freely given. Praise the Lord. I want to tell you that God's offer of eternal life through the Lord Jesus is graciously and freely given. Hallelujah. You mean I don't have to write a check? No, you don't have to write a check. You mean I don't have to go put up Hours of community service. No, you don't have to do any special deeds. How can I have this peace? How can I obtain this no fear, no anxiety? How can I receive that? The Bible said if we come to him, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. What a great blessing that is. 
And he says to this baby John the Baptist, you will be a prophet of the highest and you will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways. Present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins. Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those who are in darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the pathway of peace. So Easter is a stop along the pathway to peace with God. Isn't that wonderful? When those women ran to that tomb on that first day of the week, which was Sunday, day after Shabbat, and they came to anoint with spices the body of the Lord Jesus, and they were really puzzled. You know there's a stone that's in front of that cave, that tomb. And we don't have anybody. We're not strong enough, certainly. And we don't have anybody to roll the stone away when we get there. What are we going to do? We're so perplexed about that. But when they got there, they found out the stone had already been rolled away. Because resurrection is not our idea. It's God's idea. Hallelujah. Easter is God's idea. Grace is God's idea. Mercy is God's idea. Forgiveness is God's idea. Grace, mercy, peace with God, all initiated itself in the heart of God and was toward God, toward us. Wow. So then you might say, as folks would put it, the ball's in our court. God has done all that he can do. God has gone to the nth degree, as we would say, to bring us eternal life. And the one condition is that we believe on him, that we accept his gracious offer, and that we believe on him. That peace can be accomplished, and it's a peace that destroys fear. That fear goes away when you have this peace. And, I, and peace is a close cousin to love and joy. They're both products of the Spirit. And the Bible says that peace with God through the Lord Jesus is achieved through the blood of his cross. Well, when these ladies got there and, and the tomb, the stone had been rolled away, they said, we've got to go tell somebody. So they went back and told, and the Bible said, but they did not believe them. It's an unbelievable story. Our earthliness and our fleshliness and our limited way of thinking just doesn't allow for an empty tomb. So they likely concocted a story. Well, his disciples have come and stolen him. Well, he went through some, oh, I've been studying this message. I've, I've gone through several scenarios that he somehow took a drug that caused all of his faculties to slow down to such a point that he appeared dead, but that somehow he recovered in the, in the tomb, but you still got the problem of the rock. That won't work because if he's just a, an ordinary human being, as you suppose, then the rock's still there. Who's going to roll the rock away? 
But the Bible said when the women came back, they were astonished to find an angel sitting on the rock and told them, this Jesus whom you are seeking is not here. Hallelujah. And he's still not here. Hallelujah. He's still not here today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the angel instructed them, go and tell the disciples, tell Peter, tell all the disciples that he's going to meet with us. This promise of having a living, resurrected Savior fulfills his own words. Because when he taught them, he said, if you tear down this tabernacle in three days, God will raise it up. They thought he was talking about Solomon's temple. They said it took years to build this place. This dreamer has come along and said he can rebuild it in three days. And when they put him in the tomb, the rulers in Israel said to themselves, well, we're going to find out now who's going to build a tabernacle. Totally missing the fact that he was talking about his own body. The earthly tabernacle. But praise God, he had resurrected from that state and ascended back to the Father. What a wonderful peace-giving thing that is for me to know today. And to preach to you that there's peace through the Easter message. That God wants us to know that he is a transformation God. Transformation. In other words, our natural body has got to be changed. Got to be changed. God has got to take this body and transform it. He's already transformed my spiritual body. He's already done a great work of, the Bible said, translating me, delivering me from the power of darkness and hath translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. Translated me. In other words, he took me from one position delivered me from that, and placed me in another position. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And that is called translation. He translated me, kind of a beam me up Scotty kind of thing. That God wanted us with him. That God wanted fellowship with us so that he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So this body, this natural body. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible starts talking about these, these bodies. He talks about the natural body. Number one, the natural body. He says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. The natural body is the one you see right up here today. His name is Jerry Irwin. His driver's license is 2510302. He wears a ten and a half shoe. He wears a 42 suit. That's the natural Jerry Irwin. And there are things about Jerry Irwin that are unique to him. He is an earthling. He is a worldling. He is flesh and bone and blood. That natural body, God says, we've got to transform that. Because the things you go through 
in this body will scare you. Yeah. There are diseases that's called diabetes and cancer and all the list is so great. There's reason to have fear about the condition this body can get in. And when it gets older, strange things start appearing on your ears. <laughs> Hair starts growing in places. You wonder where in the world that came from. Your teeth fall out. Your hair turns loose. All kind of things happen in this natural body because it's not forever. In fact, the Bible said if it could just last 70 years, you are in good shape. Any more than that, the Bible said that's just the goodness of God. Hallelujah. I hope I get in that group. So then this natural body that starts dying the day it's born. The Bible said we must needs die. And we're as water that is spilt upon the ground which cannot be gathered up again. We're as a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. We're as a flower that cometh forth in its season and then withers. In fact, Job said this life is faster than a weaver's shuttle. All of those metaphorical pictures help us understand about what this life, actually about the origin and the cessation of life. One of the most fearful things that we go through is that translation from this natural body into the spiritual body that God has prepared for us. This natural body has aches and pains and that sciatica is killing me. It's called weed eateritis. <laughs> yeah, it's a pain in the back. There's so many things in these, these bodies that, that can go wrong. Sometimes you scratch your head and say, well, what is normal? Then, yeah. But I want to tell you something. God has determined a translation for this body to become another body. It's called a spiritual body. The natural body has aches and pains, sorrows, disease, and it dies. God says, for those who have my peace, I'm going to make for them a new body. A new body. Now in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, the Bible said God's going to change this. Who shall change our vile body? I would tell you what the original Greek says. It says humiliated body. Who shall change our humiliated body? Well, how in the world can a body get humiliated? Well, you ought to see some of us. <laughs> Who shall change that? Because that's not what God has for us. God wants something for us that's not iffy and it's not tangible and it's not, not something hoped for. It's something greater than that. God says, I want you to know I have prepared a body, he said, as it hath pleased him. And I'm sorry, but your body that he's prepared for you is going to look like you. 
Sorry about that. Some of you kind of thought you might trade your ugly mug and on a remodeled one or something. No, we'll, the Bible said we shall know as we are known. It'll look like you. It'll be flesh and bone, but it'll look like you. Philippians 3 and 20 and 21, who with a power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly. Instead of humiliating, this, this writer said lowly. He was kind to us. What? Who will transform or change our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. My natural body, his glorious body. Mine will be like his. Who shall change our vile bodies and shall fashion it like unto his own glorious body. So resurrection and peace with God means I'm not stuck with this humanity in the state that it's in right now. God's got something better. God's got better plans for me. God's got a better existence for me than this one. The word for soul, pushe, it, it, it's that part of us that knows and reasons and wills and desires. It's connected to the rudiments of this world, time and space and things of the human life as it is lived on earth. A spiritual body, how many of you know, I've told you so many times, that word is pneuma, it means spirit. Pneumococcus means a spiritual body. A body that is a spiritual body. A body that's fashioned like his. Changed from a susha body to a pneuma body. A spiritual body will be changed. In fact, in 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now that we are become the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know. You see, there's something you can know that'll give you peace. There's something you can know that'll take the fear away. There's something you can know that'll take the sting of death away. You, there's something you can know that'll give you peace in the midst of that storm. That's right. Hallelujah. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him and every man that hath this hope in him. What hope is that? That hope that gives me strength, that gives me peace. That hope that dispels the fear. That hope that gets all the shadows of death out of the way for me. Then you can say with the apostle Paul, get this one now. Paul said, for me to die is gain for myself. Can you believe there is a place in God that you can get that you would prefer going on to be with the Lord? Paul said, for I would much rather depart, but for me to live is Christ. And it's for your benefit, he said, that I should remain. And as long as I remain, I'll preach. 
and I'll evangelize and I'll do a missionary's work because it's beneficial to you that I stay here and keep preaching this message of peace and the resurrection. Praise God. Isn't that great? We shall see him as he is. David said this in the Psalms. When I awake in his likeness, then shall my soul be satisfied. God is most glorified. And God is most blessed. And life for me is better when I'm satisfied with what God did for me at Calvary's cross. Life is better for me. I am happier and most content when I'm satisfied. My glorying in Christ gives me satisfaction in what Jesus did. And because I'm satisfied, I don't have fear. When I'm satisfied, I, I don't fret. I'm not worried. For I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Death has no power over the Christian believing that he's secure in the Lord Jesus. That immediately when you take your last breath, immediately when that heart pumps its last beat of blood, immediately, immediately, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Not a purgatory, not a place to wait and find out if you're going to make it or not. Not depend upon somebody else to pray a prayer that will get you out of there. But immediately, I said immediately, immediately, the soul and the spirit of that house leaves that tabernacle and goes to the direct presence of Almighty God who gave it. Why? To look for that blessed hope. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. What does an anchor do? It secures you. Brother, I'm anchored right here. I don't have to worry about the tide. I don't have to worry about the current. I don't have to worry about dashing waves. My anchor. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast and which enters into that which is within the veil. He'll change our vile body, fashion it, transform it to his own glorious body as it hath pleased him. There's also another transformation that takes place in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. A corruptible body. A corruptible body with diseases and injury will be transformed to a body free from disease, pain, suffering, dismemberment, to an incorruptible body free from all human physical suffering. The Bible said, neither shall there be any more pain. God himself will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. If I could sing high enough, I'd sing, I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord. I'll have a new life. God's intent for all of us is newness, a new life. Well, Brother Jerry, you said I was going to look like me and all this. You'll look like a perfect you. Well, Brother Jerry, we're going to Change diapers in heaven for babies? No. That body's going to be made like his own glorious body. A perfect, mature, physical specimen. Amen. Aren't you looking forward to that? Why would you be afraid of something that's going to produce that? Amen. A corruptible body into an incorrupt. This corruption must put on incorruption. Must put on incorruption. We'll be transformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus and his body. What was his body like in Luke 24 and 39? The Bible said he had flesh and bone. He said, feel of me, touch me, see that it is I myself. They'd accused him of being a ghost. And the same word for spirit in Hebrew is ghost. They said, he's a ghost. He said, I'm not a ghost because a ghost does not have flesh and bone like you see me have. Touch me, handle me. In fact, in 1 John 1 and 1, the Bible said, we know him because we have been with him and have touched him and handled him. Oh, glory to God. Handled him. And that body that he had that was flesh and bone, that still had the prints of the nails in it, because Thomas, when his body was resurrected, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can touch the print of the nails, and I won't believe unless I can see his feet and see his riven side. I'll not believe. And when Jesus entered the room, glory to God, where they had the doors locked and the windows all barred up, but Jesus got in the room. You'll have some great abilities too in your glorified body. And the Bible said he was eating fish with them. Well, that's good for all you fish lovers. <laughs> Trout almondine. Yeah. He ate fish with his transformed body. We're going to eat the marriage supper of the Lamb with our glorified bodies. I am so glad, Mike, that my glorified body is going to be an eater. I tell people that this church is made up of Edomites. Brother, we got Edomites in this church. They eat, pal. I'm so glad that that's one thing about this life that is going to pleasure that's going to carry over into the next one that we're going to eat. Amen. They will sit down. The Bible said we'll come from the east and the west and the north and the south and gather at that table and sit down with the Savior at that table and eat the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, I want to be there, don't you? Easter makes it possible for me to be there. Easter gives me peace 
and all of my trepidation and all my fear is vanquished knowing that in him I have peace and I have a future that's worth living. 35th verse said, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain it may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God giveth it a body. See the 38th verse. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. But pastor, where is this peace thing in this Easter? Well, peace has to occur at the point where you're stressed. Whatever is disturbing your peace is where you've got to start to turn that stress into peace. Wherever your calmness of heart and soul was breached and you were left frightful, that's where you gotta go and fix that to get peace. Just like when the man with the ax, when he lost his ax head, they asked him, where fell it? You gotta go to that place where the problem is. You gotta address that that occurrence and deal with that occurrence. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15, great scripture right here. You ready? He will deliver them who through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to that bondage. Afraid I'm going to die. We were born in this world with that fear of dying. It's called the survivor instinct. Brother, it's amazing what these bodies will do to survive when threatened. When threatened. But that fear goes away in the person of the Lord Jesus. Back up there to the 14th verse, and let's read about some things that are so essential to our peace in Easter. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. If Christ be not raised, our preaching is vain. In other words, it's foolishness, it's a waste of time, it's an effort in futility. But praise God, Jesus Christ is risen, so our preaching is not vain. And your faith is in vain. I just said, since Jesus has been raised, our faith is not in vain. Verse 15, if Christ be not raised, we're found to be misrepresenting God. We're false witnesses because we testified that he raised him up. Well, I want to tell you our, our witness is not in vain because he has risen. He has risen. Verse 17, your faith is vain, still in your sins. Since Christ is raised, I'm not still in my sins. Since Christ is raised, I am not still under the bondage and the tyranny of the awfulness of sin. Verse 18, if Christ hasn't been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there was not an Easter Sunday morning celebration like this one, then all of those graveyards contain just rotting bones with no hope and are perished. In 33 years, I buried hundreds here at this church. We've gone to the silent city of the dead many, many times. 
But I'm here to tell you that because there is an Easter, because there is a resurrection, those who've gone before us are not perished in vain. But you ought to clap your hands at that one. That's a, that's a good one right there. When I read the scripture and, and say Don's going to pray the prayer, he says, God, I want you to hallow this resting place. He doesn't say final. <laughs> this resting place. The Bible said, there the weary be at rest and the laborers cease from their labors. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. For yea, henceforth saith the Spirit, they do rest from their labors and their works do follow them. If there is no resurrection, if there is no Sunday morning like this, if there is no hope, if there is no peace about the future, then all of our loved ones are perished in vain. They died in vain. They believed in vain. Oh, but I'm here to tell you that one of these mornings, just like this morning, there's a sound that's going to alarm. It's called the trump. And the Bible said, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Hallelujah. That sound of the trumpet is going to wake up the dead. Wake up the dead. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 and 17, for the Lord himself. Not a representative, but the Lord himself. Not Solomon the wisest, not Samson the strongest. Not Job the most patient, but the Lord himself. Shall descend from heaven with a shout. Shout. Are you telling me that Jesus shouts? Oh yeah, Jesus shouts. In fact, he shouts pretty regular. You know what makes Jesus shout? Well, it's certainly not because we join a church. It's certainly not because we pay tithe. It's certainly not because we preach. There's one thing makes Jesus shout. You know what it is? There is rejoicing, said the prophet, in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. Do you know what that means? That means that every time a soul gets saved, every time a person believes God for salvation, every time someone repents and confesses, every time someone is washed in the blood of Jesus, every time that someone forsakes their past to live new life in Christ, every time a person has become a new creature in Christ Jesus, I believe Jesus, the Savior, goes over and gets the hand of George Whitfield and gets the hand of Dwight Moody and gets the hand of Billy Sunday. I believe they shout down the streets of glory every time that a person gets saved. to continue walking in fear is to reject the sunrise. 
because heaven's got something I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on that rising sun, that son of righteousness with healing in his wings. For one day, just like this day, the Lord's going to tell the blessed Lord Jesus, the Son of God, go get him. Go get him. When that command is given in the eastern skies, the Lord Jesus shall appear. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. What does that mean, Pastor? That means the folks next door are going to get up before we do. Next door is the cemetery. Glory to God. They're going to get up before we do. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, then, I love that then, don't you? Then, then, we which remain. Now wait a minute, who's talking here? The Apostle Paul. Well, why did he say we? Boy, he's been dead 2,000 years nearly. And he thought he was going to, the Lord is coming back while he was alive? He said, then we which remain shall be Caught up. Somebody say caught up. Caught up. Caught up. Caught up. In this 15th chapter it says, in the moment and the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. You know how fast you can blink your eye? Seven hundredths of one second. Brother, that sounds pretty fast to me, doesn't you? Next thing. You mean the next time I blink my eyes? Be gone? Wow. What a great thought that is. What comfort and peace. Listen to the rest of it. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. First time that you meet the Lord is going to be in the air. First time you see Jesus will be in the air. Caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another. Don't be afraid, Trish, the Lord's coming. Don't be afraid, Missy, the Lord's coming. Don't be afraid, Gary. The Lord's coming. Don't be afraid, Martha. The Lord's coming. Don't be afraid, Brother Jennings. The Lord is coming. You mean knowing that God has another resurrection? That God has prepared for us another event where dead are going to be raised? If God has it planned, I want to tell you, the Bible said the Lord hath appointed a day that no man knows when that day is. But he himself, the Lord has appointed a day. And brother, when that day comes, all hell 
can't prevent what God has prepared for that day. And the Bible said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So here are these two guys. Jesus has died on the cross. Cleopas and his friend, and they're walking down the road to Emmaus. And suddenly there's one with them walking alongside, and he said, what are y'all talking about? And they said, have you not been in Jerusalem all week? This is, this is the week of Passover. The whole city is bustling with the news about this rabbi from Nazareth. And you do realize they killed him, don't you? You do know that they took him out on the outskirts of the city, out through the Damascus Gate, and they suspended him on a cross. And they killed him. They taunted him. They pierced his hands and pierced his feet. And he hung there suspended between heaven and earth. And the last thing they heard him say was, Eloi, Eloi, Elasabechthani, which means, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then they said something to this third traveler. They said, all of the hope of Israel and all of our hopes were that he was the Christ, but now he's dead. And the Bible said they got to their home and they said, why don't you come in and stay with us? And Jesus always accepts invitations to come in. And the Bible said, and while they sat at meat and were eating, the Lord took the bread and broke the bread. And the last time they remembered seeing that happen was in an upper room when he had gathered with them and they realized that's the Lord. And brother, have we now got news to tell. Brother, we've got to get back. Let's put this thing in reverse. Because we're going back the way we come. What we thought was defeat. What we thought was utter terrible desolation. What we thought was disappointment. And we were so disconsolate. And so hurtful and fearful and frightened. But now we can't wait to get back. And tell everybody cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up. Peace. Peace. He's not dead. He's not in the tomb. He's risen. We saw him. We talked with him. We know him. There's a tradition around here at Harvest. There was a grand old preacher. He was an African American. I've read his sermons. His name is S.M. Lockeridge. And he is famous for many sermons, but one more particularly than all others. And the title of that sermon is, It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And in keeping with our tradition, he's going to preach a little bit of that for you. 
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. We worship you today. We glorify you and honor you, O Prince of Peace, lover of our souls, Savior of the world. We love you, God. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name.
you got a communion cup there with you if you'll just remain standing. Jesus gathered his disciples into a room and the Bible said that he took the bread and the Bible said he broke that bread and he blessed it. He blessed it. And after he had blessed it, he gave it to them and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In like manner also, he took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for you. Drink ye all of it. This do in remembrance of me. Well, Easter is a wonderful occasion. You'll gather around with family and friends today. But I want you to be sure that you mention the reason for this celebration is that there's a Savior and He brought peace. There was power in that tomb to give us peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest Easter I know anything about. Thank you, Father, for letting us gather at your house today and celebrate the Lordship of Jesus and celebrate the Easter message. Thank you for that message the angel preached, the first resurrection message. He's not here. He's risen. God, let that be our theme throughout the day today. Give us a great time with our family and friends around the dinner table. And Lord, I ask you to bless everyone of the sound of my voice that we would go from this place with the peace of God in our hearts and lives. That's our prayer and dismissal. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 God bless you and God go with you. You have the happiest Easter you've ever had. God go with you. And at the cross I bow my knee Where your blood was shed for me There's no greater love than this And you have